mouse. Amazingly. We're here. Back again. Sooner than expected. Well, no, actually not. Not true. No, I put it in the schedule. I think that's the key. Yeah, it's, a, it's, now, it's, it's not, now a calendar invite. Yeah, now because we have a shared calendar, which we used to not. But now that we do, it feels like we both show up for things more. Totally. Uh, I'm Dan Fromer here with Lauren Sherman. Hello. What's going on? You know, hanging out with my baby. Yeah, that's true. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show last week. Did anyone listen to it? I think several people did. I I received multiple personal messages that people were listening. Exciting. Yeah. Um, Like you said, we're going to try to do this more regularly and and, uh, eventually upgrade our infrastructure so I'm not whacking the table here with my watch. Speaking of watch, this was Apple's annual September event, Yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah. I did not subject you to the entire thing. No, I am really. I've become increasingly interested in in it. I just don't like it because it feels so much like. Um, and I have no words right now, but um, propaganda. It is <laughs> so, especially now that it's like not even an editorial. Of, well, it never was an editorial event, but it's not like it was a performance on stage anymore. Now it's basically this. 80 minute commercial it's just so crazy the amount of we were talking about i'm obsessed with because they used to i did a newsletter years ago the those guys and at years ago was just all old white men now now it's more diverse more women more people of color that they're bringing in to present these different features yeah but it was always like they i i think the newsletter subject that was like tuck in your shirt or something they just always look so schlubby. It would just be like these really bad jeans or kind of, or dark denim jeans 10 years after dark denim jeans were cool for guys or whatever. And with a shirt tucked out and they just all look like such slobs. And I remember thinking like, just get it together. And but the thing is now <laughs> they got it together. They definitely have a stylist because all the clothes fit perfectly. Like even the jeans, everyone's clothes are fitted and they're fit they fit perfectly. There's no tugging. There's no pulling. There's no um, muffin top on anything. Like everyone looks really put together, but it's a little freaky. And then the other part of it that really freaks me out is how media trained they are. Yeah. Like it's it, it it's it reminds me of when I've been on TV or especially when we were really young and we would go on TV and they'd be like, be more animated. And they were trying to like media train you. And I felt so ridiculous. More intensity. All of these people use their hands so much. Yeah. It's just insane. It's just so much. They're like, this is what I'm so- supposed to act like on television. And they all act exactly the same. So now I just, I need to know more about the whole like glow up team. Totally. Do not steal the story idea if anyone is a journalist, because I am oh, going to write about no this. definitely no journalists listening to this. None of our friends are journalists. Um, that's true. Um, so, yeah, it's super interesting, because it used to be, and Apple got a lot of shit for this, it used to be that they would have you know, the SVPs of the company doing all the keynotes. People like Phil Schiller and Johnny Ive, and although he didn't really like doing it in person, he would do these videos uh who else i mean obviously steve jobs did a lot of the steve jobs actually did a oh, he was good at it he was i mean he was the all-time best and i did a 
one of my probably five favorite stories I've ever done in my entire life at Quartz was charting the Apple keynote, showing that when Steve Jobs was there, he dominated the keynote. He he talked basically the whole time, and yeah. then once he once he died, like Tim Cook basically became the MC and would bring in his cast of characters, and those characters were like Phil Schiller, uh, Johnny Ive, and like two or three other people who tended to be the people who were running Apple. Craig Federici, who's who's actually really great, genuinely great. I really love watching him do the keynotes. Um, but it was just a bunch of old white guys. And now because of external, and I would assume internal forces too, like as Apple's executive leadership has turned over, I, I, I imagine there's a lot of internal desire to like promote new faces, but also like the external, like Apple definitely got a lot of shit for this. Like there, there were articles yeah, and it. And as were, it should be, the pe- yeah. it, it's to me interesting. Just and one really quick thing, I actually do have a lot of friends who are journalists. I know so. I was joking. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was confused. Many, by that. many of it. Maybe we could edit that out. No, so it's like not. all my only friends are journalists. No, no, it was definitely a joke. Anyway, um, that noise is Ralford the dog adjusting his Casper dog bed while we're taping. Um, Enjoy, Ralford. I, I like seeing all these new people because I'm like, who's that? It's just, and they're interesting and they don't, they aren't boring, but it is just like, why do you all sound exactly the same? It's just a little creepy and robotic, but the whole thing has always given me the creeps a little bit, especially because you like to watch it a lot. (laughs) And now I do want to see them. Yeah. I don't need to see the whole thing, it, 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 especially when they get really into the kind of Apple's the best thing ever and with like health and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It just creeps me out. I, there's just something about it that I'm like, I already subscribe to this. I do not need to be sold it in this fashion. Mm. It's a little much for me. But anyway... I wonder if that's when they have less to say about the products themselves, so they have to spend the time talking more about how it's going to change your life, or if that's just increasingly part of their messaging. Well, we've talked about this before. You've written about it, at least, is the media part of like Apple Fitness and all of that, what they're doing Yeah, with that, that it is, you know, the con- content is is more important than ever. And I do think a lot of people, I mean, I would love, do they reveal numbers or, or can you look on Nielsen or something to see how many people watch that thing? Uh, you can't look on Nielsen or, or Comscore traffic. No one really tracks it and they don't sh- be some, hard. What they'll say is like millions of people tune in. However, I would say the one thing that we can see is, um, they do stream it live on YouTube now. Yeah. And so, let's see. How many people watched it yesterday? Okay, guess how many views the Apple event has on YouTube alone, which is not the primary place to stream it. I I have no idea. 17 million. Oh, my God. I was going to say 30,000. No, yeah. Like, most people are streaming it from Apple.com, but, yeah, the Apple event. That's insane. YouTube stream has 17 million. Now, Apple's paying a lot to promote it. And they're buying a ton of like Twitter ads. There was a YouTube ad the other day. Like they're, this is not purely organic reach. Yeah, but, but that's crazy. that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So you wanted to talk about the watch. Okay, so you so, made me yes. watch the watch segment, and I'm actually really glad you it did. It was pretty short too. Yeah, it was fun. I got what, to see several fast, looks. Fast thoughts on the new Apple Watch. 
here's the thing. I'm really reliant on my Apple Watch. Yeah, I really need it. For context, and longtime listeners to this show will remember this, but we got them the day they launched, and we neither of us has skipped a day since then. No. I Well, I broke one, and I oh, took yeah, three months off, one. and I was like, right, I, I need it. I forgot about that. But especially now, and we're not... I, we're not going to talk about our baby a lot, but like, especially cause I'm at home, I need to get my 10,000 steps in. Like I'm the kind of person that if and I don't get 10,000 steps, I don't, I'm grumpy. Like it affects my health yeah. and I, I'm not obsessed with my stand goal, even though it's been crazy post baby, I hit it every single day and I never used to hit it, which I guess because I would like, go for really long walks or long runs, but then sit at my desk for five hours. Well, you would also put your watch on later in the day. So Yeah, I started were... putting it on earlier now. Yeah. Um, But anyway, I am hugely, hugely reliant on it. But the problem is I am getting to the point where I do want a nice watch and want a watch day-to-day wear like a fancy watch. Yeah. And I do think that part of that is watch. Watches have just kind of... Maybe it has something to do with pandemic and people being at home and thinking about time more. I don't know. (laughs) But or the fact that they are totally like a record, totally not necessary. And so they become an object like a vinyl record, a vinyl record. Yeah. yeah. An object of like desire and and Mm -hmm. beauty. And, you know, there have been watch collectors for hundreds of years and there are 600 700 800 thousand dollar watches and but i think more people are interested there is and also women and they've also started to realize that the women's watch market is an area where these old watch brands are really losing out to the i apple watch but especially like the lower and we've talked about this before the lower end like two three thousand dollars and lower a lot of those have been replaced buy the apple watch whether you're a swatch or timex person or you have like a cheaper rolex or whatever um or another smart watch or what have you but i think mostly apple watch um but there's there's a i'm sure a lot of you have heard of time of dime piece which is like this women's focused content vehicle it's i mean they don't really (laughs) post anything on their actual site they were like we're gonna have all these cool profiles and there's been like two but they have a really great instagram where they highlight women's watches and bof mc who is a a very cool writer at bof she wrote a actually diana pearl wrote about it also cool Uh, mc is the coolest though but um nice at bof wrote about it last spring because i was like we have to write about this it's so there's something about opportunity in the women's watch market. But anyway, I it also just looking at the Instagram account made me really want a nice watch and also look at my kind of dingy Apple watch, which I have not had replaced in several years. Yeah, I think ours are now three or four years old. And want a fancy watch. But the problem is I really – I and it's like I don't want to just buy a fancy watch – if I'm going to spend the money to buy a fancy watch, I don't want to just, I'm not the kind of, I wear all my expensive clothes. Yeah. Like I don't, I, if I buy a fancy dress, I wear it like 15 times. If I buy, or a hundred times, but 
I wear it several times a year to every single, if I have a black, if I buy a dress that's like black tie and I have to go to like black tie stuff for work, I wear it for like four years because I, if I'm going to spend a lot of money, I want to get use out of it. And I feel the same way about a watch. Like I don't want to just wear it for like, if I'm going to a dinner or work dinner or something. And also I still, it's not, it's not solving the problem, which is that I really like to know my steps every day. And so this, this watch steps alone or like your calorie tracking. And I all care that a little bit too. about the other you still stuff. still track your runs on there? Yeah. You yeah. Use the Nike thing still? I use the Nike thing. No, I don't use the Nike thing anymore. I just use the Apple. Apple one. But, um. Nike app. Yeah, it the not, Nike app uh, is it's not the evolved Ni- in a positive way. The Nike way. app has is really disappointing to me. It used to they yeah. used to create programs for you so you could like train for if you wanted to just get up to seven miles or whatever, you could say you're training for a seven mile run or whatever, and they would set these trainings, you know, a training plan up for you. It doesn't do that anymore, so I had to switch to run with Hal, which was oh, yeah. fine. Um, I'm on. I'm on. Still using the Nike app, but also posting to Strava where my yeah, that's my your, running pals that's are your hanging community. out. Yeah. That's your community. Um, but no, I just use the Apple. And yeah, I I use it for running. But also, I don't care as much about the calorie thing because I have a very high calorie goal that I, even in my like most active, will only hit two to three days a week, maybe mm. five. If what do you I'm have like it set for? 800 calories. Oh yeah, that's the same as me. Yeah, so it's like... But I've been hitting it one or two days a week, which feels really good. Yeah. Um, I like having, like, I, I don't want to have about a goal the steps. that I'm going to hit every day. I want a goal that I actually have to try to hit. Yeah. Mine's it, probably a little too low. I should probably make it. Like you should make Nine it a or a thousand. Um, but yeah, I, it's really hard. And I, but I don't care that much. I really care about the steps though. Like yeah. it's, and so was interesting and it's not the same to just have your phone counting the steps because you don't i'm not really, i don't always have my phone you don't always have your, especially walking around the house yeah which is a huge part of my steps now it's just especially walking. our house has many stairs yeah and so we're climbing the stairs and also lot. just like walking the baby around giving house tours so that he doesn't yeah. cry he's he really likes um attention so did anything so basically the new apple watch like the screen is a little bigger and that the part of the screen that's showing stuff goes more to the edges. And that's about it. Like ours are so old that, that if we did upgrade this year, there would be a lot of stuff that would be new to us. Like, you know, now the watch face is just on all the time. So you can see the time without, Yeah, I don't like, like that. Oh, you don't like that. No. You like that. It turns out. Yeah. I don't want to see the face all the time. Huh? Interesting. Can I do it this way still? I don't know. No, I don't like that Maybe, at all. Maybe, because that'll help you save battery. Because that is, like, very stressful to me. <laughs> to know the time? No, it's just, like, to see it. Huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to flip. I don't want to see. That's, like, another thing in my face. Interesting. Because that was, like, the number one it's thing chaotic. people wanted was for really? the face to be on all the time. I don't like chaos. Because no. it's not, this isn't a face. It's a screen. Yeah. You know, well, the, I have I don't have it, so I don't know. But the, it might just be a more minimal thing, just showing the time. I don't really know. Anyway, we'll fine. I'll look. deal with it. Other than that, though, it's really the same watch. Like it's not thinner, or it's a little like kind of 
more optimized in terms of curvaceousness. It says that the face is much bigger. That's that's it. Yeah. I or mean like, it's not thinner, it's not lighter, it's not um in fact if you get the Hermes one it's gonna be heavier. Well, so that's the thing. And I think I'm sure we've talked about this before. Who Pre knows? previous to my interest in buying an actual watch, I had no interest in the Hermes Apple watch. Because I was like if I'm going to, they're not, I think they're around a thousand bucks, which I need to see, but you can buy a nice Hermes watch for not much more than that. And you can definitely get one secondhand for a thousand bucks. So it's like, why would I buy an Apple watch Hermes when I could just get a real Hermes watch? Yeah. But the issue is... So this time I was like, oh, they actually look really nice. And there's one, this like pale grayish blue, like dove blue band. And it's the double, double tour, double tour or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. It's really elegant. And I was like, maybe I should get that. And then I could wear it all day. But then also I'll just, they also have an Hermes sport band, which I'm not going to, I'm sure it's 400 bucks. I would just get the Hermes. What is it? Just have a logo on it? It's just orange. orange? Oh, I want that. Fine. No, I don't. Um, Just kidding. But I'm not going to get that. But I would be able to use a plastic band, right? Yeah, you could use whatever band you want. So I am thinking about it. I yeah. want to see and how much it costs. You could also use the Hermes band on future Apple Watches that are not this year's Hermes watch. Yeah, because I really like this band color. It's really pretty. And if it's not, if it, I mean, that's a lot of money. But how much are the regular ones? 400 Well, that one is the... A higher priced base model because it's the stainless steel, I think. No, so I'm that's ta- probably more like but, seven or eight hundred. But I'm talking about like just the, the one, if, one. If we're just going to buy the bucks, cheap one, yeah. it'll be four hundred bucks. It kind of feels like to me, if I'm gonna, I don't know, if I'm either not going to get one, or I'm going to get the Hermes. All right. I think that's my my plan. Cool. Or get like a used or I don't even care old version. Of this for a hundred. I mean, it works fine. No, you don't need enough. You're no. you didn't break yours. I have, mine's still working too. I don't need. We don't need new ones. Yeah. So I'm either gonna not change. Yeah. Or you'd get an Hermes. I'm, or I'm gonna get the Hermes one. Now here's the the key question because I've also thought a little bit about getting a real watch, quote unquote real watch. Um, although the ones that appeal to me most are more like the sporty, sporty. I don't know, outdoorsy, sporty Timexes, mm-hmm. which are not. You know, it's like one or two hundred dollars yeah. for most of them, or less. There's also a really nice Swatch that Hodinkee made, mm-hmm. um, which is like also cheap. Does it say Hodinkee on it though? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. Um, no offense, I'm just not into that kind of thing. Yeah, right. So we're like not going to do a, a needle in the mouse watch that just has our name on the front of it. No, no. Um, the other, the other thing that I've longer been interested in is the minimalist seiko steve jobs watch which they actually reissued a few years ago in like a limited edition but that sold out very quickly um yeah but anyway i too heavily still rely on the apple watch for its digital functionality everything from i mean you are even what much worse than i am you're you're dictating text messages into your watch like all the time yeah, I do. The, I love that. I still don't know what I would do, like what would replace the Apple Watch from a functionality perspective if I were to wear a nice watch, even like out to dinner. One of the main reasons I 
after I took the break and was like, oh, I feel so free without it. The reasons I went back to the Apple Watch after two or three months was because I was looking at my phone a lot more. Mm. And I had my phone out constantly, whereas even back then I wasn't doing as much dictating. It just relieved you from like pulling your phone out a lot. Yeah. And I don't know, especially when you have a bunch of meetings and stuff and you can just see who texted you. You're like, oh, that's important, or I need to, or if someone calls, you you don't have to like pull your phone out, look, and it's not. Whereas if say you're in a meeting and you get a phone call from your boss and you're like, I'm sorry, I really have to take this. Something important is happening. I mean, that wouldn't happen to you, but maybe you would get a call from me because mm-hmm. I'm your boss and and see. It's Drew Lauren's um, my boss, um, Chairman Lauren. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it, it, I I really like it. So I do think. We you can't really, wear two watches. Here's the question. We couldn't go... Yeah, and I've, I've honestly... I have looked... I asked my friend who is the executive editor of a very prestigious fashion magazine mm. to write... To have someone write an article about styling your Apple Watch with another... With a nicer watch. Because mm-hmm. I'm not... I was never in arm parties. I'm not that kind of person. Is that what it's called to wear two watches? It's... That's an arm car party was a Leandra Medine thing she it was like stacking bracelets oh okay I just never got into that I would wear like two things like it was very cool like circa 2011 Mm. and everyone had tons of bracelets and they looked really amazing and just I can't I can't do that I like I'll wear a matching bracelet on both hands or one bracelet but I've never been like a wild person about Mm. them you know Mm. I like one or two things but um I, the, no one ever wrote it, and honestly, I don't think there's an answer. I looked, I've Googled it. There's no answer about wearing two. The only people that wear two are dorks. <laughs> I mean, I'm a dork. You are a dork. Like you might be able to pull off wearing one on your right. I don't one think I'd one. want to. But it just feels the idea of having a watch on my right hand feels very weird. Yeah. So I don't. It's not happening for me. And, like, every idea that's, like, oh, could you, like, I wear this aura ring sometimes. Could that thing buzz when there's an alert? Or, like, could I wear something else? I don't want to wear other stuff for that. I don't want, like, something else alerting me. No. And I don't also believe in the fancy watches that have smartwatch features built into them because those are never going to get upgraded properly. That's just, like a recipe for disaster those companies are not going to follow through with that so yeah anyway we don't know we'll see i think oh and the last thing is like they changed the colors on the the sport watch or whatever the standard level one is so it used to be pretty easy to just choose the dark gray space gray yeah yeah but they don't have that anymore now it's this like dark green and then this very very dark blue and then there's a blue and a red i think there was like a pale color oh right and there's like a a a silver that has like a tint of warmth to it i like that if if i was gonna get a new one i would do that this is a case for seeing these things in person which because the apple watch is not shipping next week it's been delayed for whatever reason we'll probably get to see it in person in one or more apple stores in new york before we well, have to make any decisions. So this was my question for you. Is this the type of thing that we have to order online and it's going to take six months for it to get here? Or could we go into the store in New York and buy one outright? 
Um, probably the second piece, but I don't know because it, it's not. It's there's some delay, and what's not known is like okay, when the delay is over, will they be in real quantities, or are we going to have to wait several months to get one? I think the store is always a way to somewhat. Lauren is watching Sorry. Instagram videos during our show. No, this is a podcast. Uh, Lauren is to... listening to another podcast Sorry, during you're the podcast. Have to X that out. No, we don't edit this show. No. <laughs> That's the value add. Uh, anyway, so I don't know. The answer is I don't know. But and then only some stores I think sell the Hermes ones. So yeah. we'll have to go to a posh store. But I think the one, Soho the one. Soho one have them? I think so, yeah. So I would assume so. Yeah. Anyway, um we don't know. That's the answer. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, sorry that took so well, long. Well, no, I think it's interesting. Totally. That we're still six years, seven years later still wearing them. Yeah. Is that how long? And I guess it's, that's how long Weird indentations on our arms from them. I don't know what that's Semi-permanent? Gonna... I think I asked a doctor, like, will this go away? And they said, yeah, eventually it will, so... We'll I don't see. think our I don't think our bones have been reshaped by the Apple Watch. I don't know because now I have this thing called mommy wrist. Oh God! That yeah. my and when I wake and there's like a bulge where my Apple Watch is. It's not on my right hand, so I think it the Apple Watch is affecting the mommy wrist for sure. All right, cool. Um, okay, second topic today. We're going to talk about Warby Parker, the eyeglass startup company. Not really a startup anymore, but. Um, you probably know, if you listen to podcasts, you probably know what Warby Parker is. They used to buy a lot of podcasts. Yeah, they, they? I think they still do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they are a New York-based eye, eyewear company that launched in, what, 2010 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, as of last month, they have filed their filings with the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, to do a form of an IPO that's called a direct listing. So mm-hmm. it's a little different than an IPO, not as much of a roadshow and a little less banking infrastructure. It's seen as like a more, it's like a less bullshitty way to, to offer shares. You can't sell shares. So it's not a, yet. I think they're working around this. Maybe we've even talked about this. I don't know, but you can't raise money this way, mm-hmm. but you can just offer your existing shares for sale. So if you're getting liquidity for like early investors or founders or employees, totally cool to do it this way, but you can't, there's no like new offerings. So if the company needs to raise money by issuing new shares, they still have to do an IPO. I think I may be out of date on this. There's a guy named Bill Gurley, who's a VC, who's like super gung ho about direct listings and how IPOs are bullshit. But um, so if they want to raise money, like. Six months from now, they'd have to do an IPO. Well, they there would it wouldn't be an IPO; it would it just would be, be an, a, o. an O. Yeah, or a and PO. then does an that offering, happen? Secondary offering. And does that happen frequently with companies? companies? Typically, do offerings when they either need to raise money because they don't have enough money, or yeah. when they think their share price is kind of amusingly high and can raise money cheaply. Okay. Um, I think I just saw that Blue Apron is doing an offering. I I, I got some email from okay. Blue Apron about something, but um, anyway. So I wrote a long piece, like 2,100 words, I think, for The New Consumer this week. Mm-hmm. Um, although when I published this show, it may have been last week. We, we, Hey, by the way, if you're listening this far in, let us know. Is there a day of the week that you want us to publish these shows? Nobody like, cares. Nobody cares? Okay. No. Like, but are we a Saturday show? Are we a Monday show? What do you, what I does don't it feel think to we're, you? 
I don't think we're a Saturday show. Are we a Friday night show? For me, the, I like two kinds of shows on Saturdays. I like like I li- like listening to It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders on Saturday because mm. it's like a roundup of the week. So I'm like closing out on Saturday. If I go for a run on Saturday morning, I'm like closing out the week with that. But otherwise, I like listening to like, I've been listening to The Plot Thickens, that TCM podcast mm, about yeah. like old Hollywood. Well, not even old Hollywood, but just different Hollywood stories. And it's serialized. It's a different story each season. So weekends, I like listening to things that have nothing to do with the news or that are rounding up the week. And I would not want to listen to Sam Sanders on Sunday morning. Okay. Because it's too much. And Sunday morning, I listen to um, Splendid Table. Nice. When I wake up, in, in st- I will listen to NPR for like two minutes and then put this, uh, the Splendid Table on. But I'd say that I th- everybody's different. Everybody's yeah. different. But I don't want to listen to anything... That is two people talking and just chit-chatting. I like listening to that on walks or runs during the week. Okay. So maybe we're a Thursday night show. I think a week... a week Must-see TV. We're the new Caroline in the city. I think like a week during the week show. Also, people just save them for whenever. I know. That's true. Well, especially this show. You could save it for for two years if you wanted to. If we think... If we think we're going to really do this, then yes, we want to have it yeah. at the same time. All right. But. Thursday night. Boom. Done. Uh, okay. So I wrote about Warby Parker because they published their documents to sell shares to the public, which means for the first time really divulging a lot of financial results mm-hmm. plus their whole pitch, which um, – and this is kind of the, the focus of my piece is – their pitch is actually very, very similar to the pitch they've had forever. Like, you know, we, we talk a lot about companies that pivot, that radically change their business over the course of their lifetime. Um, Warby Parker is still doing the Warby Parker thing. Like they're – and we went back and we watched this old TechCrunch video from 2012 where their co-CEOs, Neil Blumenthal and Dave Gilboa, were basically giving the same pitch for Warby Parker that – they offer today to, to new investors. Talk about two people who are expertly media trained. Yeah. They are so good at, t- they like can finish each other's sentences. There doesn't seem to be any, I've been interviewing them since probably then. There doesn't yeah. seem to be any tension between them. They're so good at complimenting each other and knowing when to let the other person speak. And looking at that video was crazy. Even then they were mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's good for now they're going to do these earnings calls and stuff. It's good totally. that they are so in, you know, they have, a, they're very, um, they have like a very good rhythm, I would say. Yeah. And as we noted, it's impressive that they're both still co-CEOs. Yeah. There, there were two other founders. I don't think there's anything like, you know, I, I we know that one of them is one of the co-founders of Harry's, Jeff Rader. They seem to all be in, in. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all in business. I think there's both of the other founders are still on the board. So, yeah. um, But, but anyway, Neil and Dave um, have run the company together now for what, 11 years, something like that. Yeah, it's Uh, really crazy. Which is impressive, especially in this era of, you know, founders that spiral out of control. Um, So, anyway, so if you're, if you're deeply interested in this topic, I encourage you to go to newconsumer.com. Sign up, read it. Um, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. It was long, but I think meaty. 
but we'll talk about a couple of the the high level points today during the show. Um, and and I guess the first one, which is kind of the title of my piece, which is like the Warby Parker model. Uh, Warby Parker proves that the Warby Parker model works for Warby Parker, which yeah. is like what what we saw after Warby Parker launched. And, and basically, their pitch was. The eyeglasses industry, which is really dominated by like a few companies, is totally ripping you off. There's no reason glasses should cost $700. They're all vertically integrated, but they have these retailers. And there's also all these licensed brands that are not really made by the brands that they say they're made by. You know, Ralph Lauren doesn't make Ralph Lauren glasses. They're all, these are all licensing jobs. They're all there to just take more money from you. Um, these, these companies don't care about you. They treat you like garbage. They rip you off. We are a different kind of company. We are going to sell you nice-looking glasses that are on-trend and stylish for 95 bucks. Boom. No weird upsells. You know, eventually they added more, more varieties, some of which cost more money, including like blue light filtering and bifocals, multifocal glasses. Those obviously do have a, a bit of a higher cost to them. Um, we, are also a, we are also going to sell you everything directly. You don't have to go to some... Third-party store to buy this stuff will sell it to you online. Especially back then, no one was buying glasses online. I think they said it was like something like one or two percent of the market. Um, we don't have stores yet, and we're not in anyone else's store. So we have this innovative try-on-at-home program where we'll send you five pairs for free, no strings attached, to see how you look in person. If you like them, great, you can buy one. If you don't, doesn't matter. Just send them back. You have five days to do that, uh, which was pretty cool at the time because. You know, there was really no other way. Glasses, and as someone who's worn glasses since, since he was five years old, you really need to try glasses on in person. Like, they've, they've yeah. definitely come a long way with AR glasses, filters, and that kind of stuff over the last 10 years. But you really need to see glasses in person. You have to feel how they fit on your face. Um, this is stuff that, like, computers really just can't do as well as the actual physical product. Um, and they're, they also were... A different kind of company. We're going to, and they kind of borrow this from Tom's Shoes, I think. We're going to give one pair away to someone in need for every pair we sell. So Yeah, I was going to just mention that like that was the one thing about their model that was not the Warby Parker of Warby Parker. It was yeah. copied from Tom. Um, Buy a pair, give a pair. But they stopped doing that at some point, right? No, they and, still do it. They've distributed okay. over 8 million pairs. Wow. Um, I don't think it's the same glasses. No, I don't think, I don't think I it's don't, like. Let's not glasses. get into. Who let's cares? not get into that. We don't Who cares? Care. Um, but anyway, so this was a big deal when Warby Parker launched. Immediately, there were like clones in in almost every industry. Everyone wanted to be the Warby Parker of something to the point where it's become like the Warby Parker of X. Um, there were also all these international clones because they've never done international. So if you go to like basically any kind of wealthy country, there's going to be a shop that's like... Yeah, the Warby Parker of, of Europe or whatever yeah, it is. Some weird name. Yeah, it's um, very funny. And so... And there was this kind of phrase being attached to them, which is like the digital disruptors or something like that. And so my piece digs into all of that stuff. Um, there are a few interesting points that I'll just bring up kind of in rapid fire. Um, one is that, like, they've actually, again, they've remained remarkably on the same page as kind of when they launched. Like, they're still selling completely direct-to-consumer. They do not sell in third-party stores. They don't sell through other websites. Like, they just sell it to you. And, um, and I think that, you know, especially as you look at a lot of the other Warby Parker clone-type companies in other industries, a lot of them have 
quickly move out of that model. Like Harry's, for example, which was founded by one of the founders of Warby Parker, immediately, um, well, not immediately, but they started as direct consumer too. And then eventually started selling wholesale to big retailers like Target and Walmart, which ended up driving most of their most of their growth after a certain point. Like for some companies, it became clear that direct consumer was not going to work as the only distribution channel that they needed, maybe not needed, well, I suppose needed, depending on who's in charge, but they needed to be part of the, the massive retail uh, you know, world to uh, achieve their, their ultimate growth. And so a lot of the companies that started off as DTC became traditional kind of wholesaling brands. Um, they still use DTC for some things, but not for everything. Um, other brands have, have done different things. Like and, and so one of the other really interesting things from the Warby Parker filing, which I did not realize, and I knew that retail stores had been important for them, because you just start to see them everywhere and there's over a hundred and I think there's like 135 stores or something like that. That's right. Um, And they started doing it from the very beginning. Like they first had try-ons, I think in Neil's apartment or something like that. And then, and then you could actually just go hang out in their office and try stuff on in the lobby. And I think even their current headquarters have like a, a, mini store in the yeah, I think in the so office too. too. They did for a long time. I don't know if it's still there. But they were certainly early to this idea of DTC brands doing retail and since then have really, really, really relied on it in a way that I did not fully grasp. And in fact, before COVID, two thirds of their business was happening at retail. Which yeah. to, you know, again this this concept of the the digital disruptor, like turns out two thirds of their business is happening offline. At least yeah. that's where the, the sale happens. Um Another interesting stat that I dig into with some analysis is is that 70% of their customers do end up using their website or their app before making a purchase. So there's a really strong overlap between offline customer and online customer, which most brands, A, don't have, and B, even if they did, couldn't measure it. <laughs> so they yeah. don't really know. But be- again, because Warby is direct, because they all, they, they quote unquote own all parts of the customer relationship, they can actually measure these things in a way that most companies can't. Yeah, I think most companies are getting, I think they're getting better at this and like especially the luxury brands, the CRM is like, I did a store in Prada a few years ago and they've basically gone totally direct to consumer and their CRM is a huge part of that and customer relationship management system. Correct, Um, yeah. And they, if you look at how they've done, a huge reason they've done so well is because they went mostly direct and they have this really good system where you can like, if someone buys something at the store in New York and then they go to London, you can keep it all together. But I was shocked, even a few years ago, there were some of these digital first brands that I remember going into Parachute and they're, the online and offline were not connected. So if you mm. had an account in, I'm sure they fixed this, but if you had an account, when they first opened stores, if you had an account online, uh, it didn't work offline and you couldn't, it was really frustrating. And there were a few huh. places like that. Um, I think now most of them do. And what Probably you, like different point of sale systems. 
And that's where like Shopify just owning yeah. more of that market makes it easier yeah, for I small brands. And then this... Warby Parker is big enough to obviously make all their yeah. own stuff. I'd but... say in the last five years, it's probably it's a gotten better. a lot better. But the big thing that you do hear from a lot of brands, no matter what, is they'll say, you know, if they have a really strong online presence in a market and they open, that, that store is going to do really well. Yeah. So it's like it doesn't – I mean I guess this is old fa- old – fashion to even think about this or dated to think about it this way but it 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 does if you have online and if you have offline your online is going to be stronger in that area it's not going to cannibalize one does not cannibalize the other right and there was a bof article that i don't know if you wrote someone else did but um uh glossier just opened a store in seattle and they had shared stats with they used they had a pop-up there and i think they shared stats with you guys basically saying like yeah, this was probably a, rachel yeah this was a really strong market for us on online sales so it, uh i I'm, i hope i'm not making this up but it was like it became a an obvious place for us to open a, a permanent store um warby's stats in the in the filing are kind of the opposite of that they basically say that when we open a store when we open a store in a market Overall sales in that market, something like grow 250%, so basically triple or so. Um, Some of that, some of the e-commerce goes offline. So there is a a temporary dip in e-commerce sales in that market when a store opens. But over time, the e-commerce catches back up and basically opening more stores in a market drives more. And and so, um, you know, there was, there's a stat in the, in the filing citing a third party, but basically saying like, we think we could have 900 stores in the U S which yeah. is almost as many old navies as there are. Um, kind of a lot, but when you think about they're already in, I think 99 cities. So, yeah, you know, that means a big city like LA, New York would have like 10 to 20 stores and smaller cities would have three to four. That adds up really quickly. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't feel like gap or even old Navy where, well, Old Navy didn't never had too many, but Gap had too many stores. Like you'd walk down the street and there'd be one Gap on one corner and gaps, three yeah. blocks later. But I think in each neighborhood to have a Warby Parker makes sense. Like we were in Pasadena yesterday and we walked by the Warby Parker store. A lot of people who live in Pasadena are really old. They've never been online. Like get they're not listening to podcasts where Warby Parker is advertising. They're not coming to Silver Lake for our Warby Parker store. No, no, exactly. So like, yeah, it needs to exist. And also it is a thing. It feels like a local, it does feel like the kind of thing. One of the most frustrating things about digital commerce overtaking the world is that if you need something in the next two hours and you just need a t-shirt or something, it's really hard to just go find a basic thing at a store because the stores now, all the clothing stores only have, especially like they have like their hero products or like their cool new novelty stuff. And if you need like a basic item, I think it's harder than ever Hmm. to find it in a store. You can find it online, but we've probably talked about this before that time that I was looking for a sheer turtleneck (laughs) and here we were in LA it was for New Year's and I wanted a sheer turtleneck to wear under my dress and because it was going to be quote unquote cold or whatever and I we went I went to Zara I went to I mean 
the other thing was that you probably there just probably weren't a lot of sheer turtlenecks on the market at that point. But the only place I found one was Vince, and it was like one hundred fifty dollars, <laughs> so I didn't buy it. But yeah. I just I, it's not that you can't find basic stuff. The, it's just you're we're so used to now being able to find whatever we want. Yeah, and a lot of stores do not put all of their inventory in the store because they're like, well, most people are shopping online and especially stuff that's not going to be as like higher as is going to, I don't know. It's just, it was hard for me like going into a Patagonia store and not being able to buy a specific color or like just so many things are online that are not in the store now. Yeah. Because some, some brands only put their really novelty stuff in stores. Some brands only have their basic items and the more niche stuff you have to find online and everybody has a different strategy and it's just not. So the point being that like, Something like glasses where you do want to try it on. You don't want to have to go to the Westfield Century City to Warby Parker if you live in Pasadena. And it's that not makes sense. An, it's not a, uh event shopping experience. It's more of a utilitarian it's practica- thing. Yeah, it's what, practical. But what Warby Parker has done really nicely, I think, is make stores that feel way different and way more fun and interesting than typical glasses stores yeah like i'm not a warby parker customer anymore but i still appreciate the mood and and the the customer service elements of their store that other glasses stores don't really offer yeah well that kind of comes to there are two things i want to talk about one is the fundamental why did this business succeed and and two why aren't you a customer anymore but let's talk about why you're not a customer anymore hold on i want to get to part three of my bullet points first okay. and then we'll get to yours because it plays into it okay part three was that again digital disruptor brand they actually haven't disrupted the glasses industry like they a decade in they're still they still say they're only one percent of of revenue or something like yeah. that of of the u.s glasses industry which just is wild to me. Like this is this is, and their their brand recall was like thirteen percent, basically saying that like thirteen percent of people could name Warby Parker as a glasses brand, but they're only like two percent of glasses unit sales and one percent of revenue, which is wild. And and the the big evil glasses corporations, like yeah, there's been some mergers and there's been some drama within the, those companies, but they're still obscenely profitable and they still dominate the market. So and, that, and that part was really interesting to me. I think until they have 900 stores. Yeah. And also I mean, even at that point, there's still only one brand. Right. And uh, anyway, so now to your, to your questions. Okay. Um, and by the way, again, check out newconsumer.com for the full detail. Analysis. Yeah. It, it, it's really well done and it doesn't feel long. It feels clear and, and I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. That's my conversational writing style. You have beautiful writing style. Um, you have a great voice. Um, but yeah, I think All right, so the what was thing your about Warby Parker that is interesting is they only have one brand. So even though you go to Sunglass Hut or whatever and all those sun, all those glasses are made by the same people, the same company, they have different brands on them. So even if Ray-Ban, like you can get the soul. same style at every single one of them, like it by it, it's kind of like shoes like there will be one style that's popular for a season and every single brand makes it and it's basically the same shoe and you just choose the brand it's kind of like when we're talking about cars same exact thing like some i wear i don't wear glasses but 
I wear generally, you go into the store and you're like, I like these product glasses, frames. They might be specific to Prada, but generally you might also be able to find something very similar in a different in Saint Laurent or something like that if for glasses. So it's not that they're, they're not, it's not that it's totally different, but you do have more choice or, or you think you have more choice. So there's like the paradox of choice mm. is interesting here because it feels like when you go into one of those lens crafters or whatever, that you have tons of choices and you feel like you have the power. You actually don't because you're actually just buying from one company and they're making, they have different brands on it, th- making you think that you are being discerning when in reality you're just buying the same thing that everybody else has. Yeah. Where Warby's interesting to me is that they have chosen to just have this one brand. They'll do collaborations occasionally, but nothing like Super permanent. Rarely. Yeah. And in the minds of the consumer, they're still just one brand. And so. A consumer's going to be like, yeah, I want one pair of Warbies, but I'm going to go somewhere else to get a different brand. You know? Maybe, yeah. I mean, right. And the question is like, do they need, oh, I remember the name of the J. Crew sub-brand, which is Wallace and Barnes. Like, do they need a Wallace and Barnes Well, it did, of, doesn't seem like J. Crew needed it. So. Well, J. Crew, <laughs> this is the problem is making any analogy to J. Crew. It's like, well, yeah, that worked really well. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. Shut up, Fromer. But yeah, like, should there be a, a more like woodsy looking or like more workwear inspired Warby Parker line? By the way, you go to the Warby Parker website. There's no shortage of choice. Like, there's way more or, styles than I expected them to have. Or should they go into the business of partnering with brands and doing yeah. their glasses? And then you go in, and yes, it's still the same thing. But at least there's a different brand. It's a different I, mm-hmm. you know, someone else's perspective or something yeah. like that. Our friend of ours was talking about the Amanda Decadnet or Decadnet. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I don't even know who you're talking um, about. She so. did these pink glasses that our other friend Hillary Kerr wears, uh-huh. and they're really good. I th- I think that they still sell them. They're like a light pink glass, and it was a collaboration with her. She's a designer and a personality, and does all this cool stuff. Entrepreneur. Um, but and photographer, but um, they were like p- big pink glasses, and it's just a style that Warby Barker sells. But she did them in this like clear pink, and those, like, why don't they just do more stuff like that mm. and build it up? I don't know. It's yeah. But they've always said that they weren't interested in having other brands. It seems like they're just very controlling over all elements of everything including the the experience, which like, I guess the question is like, okay, do I want to go to a glasses store where I'm going to have quote unquote choice because there's a lot of different brands or do I want to go to a glasses store where I know I'm going to be treated well. It's going to be an interesting environment. They are not going to rip me off. They're going to have, you know, fair pricing and, and at the end of the day, I'm going to walk out with a pair of glasses that I like. I don't, I I guess that's the question. And I guess they don't need, they can still get really big. They don't need to be as big as Luxottica. Totally. Like, and and the, by the way, they're doing, what is it, like half a billion dollars over the last 12 months. So in, they could pro- they'll so, probably get to $2 billion pretty easily. Yeah, even with 1% of revenue or whatever it is, like they're doing well, which yeah. is the point of my piece, which is like the Warby Parker model has worked for Warby Parker. Okay. So, so let's go to the last two questions because we're already, we're 
we've been we've been talking a long time. Um, we need to talk about how long long the pod's gonna be if we're gonna do this okay. regularly. But um, one is like why have they been successful? So you could say whatever they're not always profitable. They could be profitable. That's not yeah. Uh, they're pretty close. They, that's not gonna be an issue. They're they've been trying to they've been on the growth trajectory. They'll be profitable. I don't I don't foresee them having an issue with that. The question for me is why has it worked for them and it hasn't worked for so many other companies? And also half a billion dollars in sales is a lot for one of these companies. True. And they've had ten years, but it's still and to me the answer is and thankfully like most startups are not stupid enough to use the um the phrase white space anymore. They know that it's cliche, but the truth is when these companies started coming out, they were like, we see a white space in the market. We see an opportunity in the market where the customer's needs are not being filled. Yeah. The mattress store, a bunch of jerks. And I think it's very rare. And as someone who covers fashion and beauty in particular and fashion more than beauty, I'd even say, you can't really say that. In fashion, you just can't. Like, you can have a different value proposition. You can do all this stuff. What it comes down to, it is that there is enough. There are enough clothes. You, if you're just saying I make a really great item of clothing for an affordable price and it's cool and looks different from anything else in one little way, that's enough differentiation for okay, people. Okay, Lauren, but it's a shirt that was designed to be untucked. I don't want to talk about that, but um, I don't consider that a part of my beat. By the way, I think I saw Tim Cook wearing Untuck It on the I would not once, be but we surprised. can talk about that another time. Um, You're totally right. But so I think the reason Warby Parker worked is because that market doesn't have, there aren't, there's only one company. Yeah. So there was room for another company and it was able to get to $500 million. It's really interesting thinking about like, lingerie or underwear in that market victoria's secret is the market they especially in the u.s dominate the market the only companies that have been able to take market share from victoria's secret and really they didn't take market share they just grew the market were gap and american eagle Hmm. so like none of those little startups yeah have been able to get anywhere and i think it's just very, if you look at the eyewear market specifically, there was room for affordable glasses that looked pretty cool. Mastige. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard enough to compete in that market because of all the regulatory stuff, because it's a medical product that unlike what happened in the mattress industry where everyone's like, oh, Casper, cool. We can make a Casper. Yeah. It's harder to do that with, with eyewear. Yeah. Especially prescription so, eyewear. I think the lesson is if you want to be a huge, huge company and make a ton of money, you actually have to find a real hole in the market. And those really don't exist anymore. And I would add the second part to that is like they actually did offer a better customer service. Like yeah, yeah. A better experience, whether it was the home try-in, whether it was just like having a, a real website. Most glasses brands still probably have a total crap website. Yeah. And then the whole stores thing, and this is where like Warby drops their their quote unquote net promoter score in their filing, which is now like everyone's putting this in the filing. Net promoter score goes from negative one hundred to a hundred. It basically is like how how willing are you how, how 
they, they ask their customers like, how excited are you or whatever the word is like, how on a scale of one to 10, how much would you um, recommend this brand to a, a friend or colleague? And people go zero through 10 or something like that. Anyway, there's this 83, which is actually very good. Like if the top is a hundred um, and they claim that the glasses industry overall is in the thirties. As I kind of allude to in this piece, I've learned from investor, uh, like professional investors, that it's actually somewhat easy to game your net promoter score. There's no one really policing it. You can only ask your customers. You can ask them at a certain time. Like there are ways to make your net promoter score higher than it should be. But comparing 83 to 30, like even if that's like only halfway real, although I trust them to not totally bullshit us with this sort of, um, it shows that that people actually do value their their experience with Warby Parker higher than they would with a kind of dusty glasses brand. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, and I think we I don't wear glasses, and I only wear one pair of sunglasses for years and years and years. And I are they Warby Parker? No, mine are Mascot. Oh, so right. we'll have to talk about oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I wore Persol for year per Persol. I don't know. I would say Persol, but maybe it's Persol. I wore those for years, which I just remembered. I bought them at a local eyewear store across the street from Forbes. Yeah. And I used my, like, FSA or whatever. Oh, wow. Or is there HSA? There's no. both, yeah. One of them. I, definitely not legal, what okay, I did. Okay, great. Hopefully no one <laughs> will hear that. That was, like, 20 years ago, so it's fine. Statute of limitations um, is, is but. I had those persolds that I had for, and I bought them twice in a row, and they don't make them anymore. So then I bought mascots, which I really, really like. But yeah. I and I have bought a pair of Warby Parker. I bought the Warby Parker Alex Mill and lost them. Promptly mm. lost them. I'm just like a one. I can only keep track of one pair of sunglasses at a time. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So basically, the question that I had for you, because you when we were talking about this, then we started talking about like I don't. I don't, I don't, we'll, we'll go into that store and just walk around because it's a nice experience. They have, like, whoever did, I think it might have been whatever Partners in Spade is called now. I think Mythology? They, I think it yeah, might have been when they were Partners in Spade that did their first doors, but I'm not positive, but I'm, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm 99% sure. The stores are cool. Like, yeah. they look really great and we'll look around. And you did wear them for a while, but then. I had a pair for a couple of years. But. And then you switch to Mascot. And so Mascot is has one they may have more than one store actually. They oh, yeah, have they that have store a bunch in Brooklyn. Of yeah. But we went to the Lower East Side one, which to me that must be the original store though. Who knows? It feels and there's you like got two on the Lower East Side there too. There's like the upstairs one and the downstairs okay. one. Okay. Well you got I mascots. I got mascots. Like four or five years ago. And I love them. They're so good. Yeah. But why did you switch? Why did you trade up? Well, I think I think I had to. I think the Warby Parkers were, and this is like I'm a product snob. Okay, I'm like probably ten out of ten in terms of demand, very high quality from products. I think the Warbies just were not a perfect product. Um, I don't remember exactly like whether they broke. I think maybe the coating was coming off. On one of the eyes, in fact, that definitely happened. The non-stick or the um, anti-reflective coating—they just were like giving up on me. And 
A, I think the mascot frames looked better. They had a more heft to them. Like they just felt like a higher quality product. Um, B or A point five is like my glasses needs are slightly different than the typical glasses were. I actually have a very, very, very strong prescription and I wear contact lenses. So my glasses are really only on my face for like a couple hours in the morning at most. And then half an hour at night. Yeah. Um, it's just like I have Coke bottle glasses and it's it's not really pleasant to wear them no matter what they are. I, I much prefer wearing contact lenses. So um, it anyway, so I, I like the way the mascots felt. And then I also had some FSA money left over. Um, which you could which actually, I could actually use legitimately you have a use. And so the sticker shock, I think the mascots were probably like six, seven hundred bucks. I think that probably came down to like two hundred or something. And therefore, it didn't feel like I was getting gouged in the bank account. You know, like it, it felt like I was getting a, a, you know, decent deal. And sure enough, like they've lasted much longer than my Warby Parkers lasted. Um, there were no Warby Parkers for sale in the mascot store. So I couldn't compare them apples to apples in the store. And this is, you know, one of the benefits and one of the costs of, of specialty single brand retail is you cannot be compared to other brands very easily because they're not available where your people are shopping. So, um, and I, I don't know, I don't want to say like, I feel like I graduated from Warby Parker in like a snobbish classist sense, but it, it did feel, and, and kind of still does feel to me like as, as me, not necessarily as someone like evaluating brands, but me as a person evaluating products that Warby Parker is more on the entry level, like, you know, value perspective and, I would say that products are a good value and that they are better than you would get for $95 from a competitor. Yeah. But as someone who wants nicer things, like I didn't feel like I needed to check out the Warby Parkers at that point. Yeah. And I think some of it is just consumer perception. And I have mascot sunglasses because the personal ones, they don't make them anymore. And I never found a pair of personals that I liked as much as as the original pair. And I like these mascot ones and love them and wear them all the time, but they do feel like more substantive. Is that how you say that word? Sure. <laughs> um, Substantial. They, substantive. Yeah. They People feel say both things. weighty and yeah. that could totally be in my head, but I do, I feel the same way that like, I want something. I, the, the price value equation for Warby, I think, is really good, but I also think it's good for Mascot. And yeah. we are, we spend a lot of money on crap, and like we like having nice stuff. And it, we were talking about our bookshelves last week. We're gonna buy the nicer bookshelves and not buy as many, and keep building them over time so we have them forever, rather than buying. Like, I think... For me, like, I mean, sunglasses and glasses are a pretty utilitarian purchase. I want them to be super... I want them to be fashionable, but I also am happy to have them for a long period of time. Yeah. And I'd rather pay twice as much for mascots that I'll keep twice as long if they're the right product Yeah, and me. the thing is, like, a penny loafer. The Bass penny loafer is not expensive, but it's the best one. You're going to buy that. A, a, a pair of Keds, like a white sneaker, you're going to buy the Keds. You're not going to buy off-brand heads you know they're they're not expensive but it's the best one we want the best thing the thing i would say is 
like, does that affect Warby Parker? And that's what we were talking about. Like, right. Warby Parker doesn't need you and me. Yeah. They, they need, need us. us to know who they are and to be interested in them and maybe wear them once or twice. But they need the Pasadena store. <laughs> totally. They don't, in this weird way, they don't need the Silver Lake store. They need the Pasadena store. But they need to start in Silver yeah, Lake well, yeah. so that the Pasadena store finds out about them at some point. And it's the same thing with all these brands. Like are we bought away luggage, like somewhat, I'd say somewhat begrudgingly because we were like, there's no luggage brand that speaks to us, but they well, have, we, uh, and they have a really Muji, good product. We had the Muji stuff yeah. that they basically cloned, but, but the, the, honestly they did a pretty, they did it they better. Did a better job than the Muji. It's a brand. better product. So yeah. we bought it. Do I think that we'll buy away again? No, I think that the next time we'll buy Remova Sorry, Jen. or, I, I'm I'm being honest here. Yeah, totally. Like I like it. I think it's really good, but it, it doesn't works. matter. We have a lot of it. We've probably we probably spent over a thousand dollars on away suitcases. But the thing but... is, like, they don't need us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need us. They can. They, it's fine if we go buy something else or some other brand finally comes out with something that we actually like, other than some random brand in Japan that I almost bought that I would oh, have yeah. been a really bad idea. But oh, I'm so glad I talked you out of that. Yeah. yeah but. They don't need us. Right. They need everybody else. Yeah. And and the good news, I mean, you know, for, at least from their perspective, is they actually do have a pretty loyal clientele. Like their the, the stat that they gave was that over – in glasses, I guess, on average, people repurchase every two to two and a half years. I think it was every – on a 48-month basis, consistently their customers will spend – will have spent the same amount of money with Warby Parker as they spent on their initial purchase. So if you spend $200 on your first pair of glasses, the average Warby Parker customer four years later has spent $200 again with the company. Yeah. And which I, is pretty good. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's not, that's not the best uh, revenue retention rate in the world. And that would be kind of bad if you were a software as a service uh, cloud company, but I think it's pretty good. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, the thing that we have to remember is there's different kinds of consumers and we are the kinds of consumers that want to buy one nice thing and have it for a really long time and wear it and be like, I bought this thing and look how nice it wore. There are a lot of people who shop at Zara and H&M and wherever or the Real Real or wherever and they just are constantly consuming and want 15 new things every week. And there are people who want five pairs of glasses. Yeah. And you can do that with Warby Parker or totally. away luggage. Like yeah. it's the same, same thing. The mass and mastige. Yeah. So they don't need us. Um, and they might still get us someday. Yeah. And I guess like, okay, the maybe give me a 60 second answer to this. Should they be developing a, whether it's a sub brand or a higher end product to, to get us back? Or is that not a good use of their time? I don't time? like that. No. But that's it. but the, again the, the Banana Republic to their Gap or the Acura yeah. to their whatever Honda or something. Well, Banana Republic never worked for Gap, so it's a True. perfect a perfect example of it not working. I sometimes that if something is good, it will work, but it's really hard to make a good thing. Sometimes, most of the time, <laughs> I think it, yeah. it will work on a level. It might not be. It might it will be successful in some way. It might not be financially successful. Hey, friends from college only lasted two seasons, so it was only one, right? I think it was that two. show was not even good. It, it was just good. like an algorithm that yeah was, it was created it was for, us show that was made for us in the music. It was very yeah. weird. It was specific for people who graduated from high school in the year two thousand, 
and it actually made me a little uncomfortable, but I was also sad when it ended. Totally. All right. Uh, anyway, third, third reminder, check out my at full analysis at newconsumer.com. Yeah, I'm glad really we got good. to discuss this. Yeah, it was um, fun. What is the what is our show ending today? We're talking about talk- speaking of speaking of uh, brands that we are purchasing from. So I want to talk about you know obviously we're finally moving out in the world and can wear clothes again in some way. It's basically been two years since I bought a bunch of stuff like right before COVID. Some of it I actually have worn a lot in COVID because it was dresses that I anytime I go out I just wear them. But um, it's interesting like. How has your style – are you wearing the same brands? Like we're going to New York for five weeks, so we're very excited. We can wear coats and things like that for for the autumn being in L.A. And we're going to be out and about a lot more. Like you're going to be working from an office. I'm going to be hanging out with my baby and people and having lunch, and we're going to be walking around in a stroller, and we're going to have to not wear sweatpants every single day. Yeah. Um, or Patagonia baggies or whatever. But you have a really chic pair of baggies. These are my wear. chic shorts that we'll talk about. Um, but I'm curious to know. So I, you know, have for the last five years or so really, I'd say no, for the last 10 years, had basically three brands that I wear constantly, which is La Mer, Uniqlo U, and I guess The Row. Yeah. But I'm thinking chic. about... But it's mostly Uniqlo you. Yeah, yeah. And I wear other stuff, but like really into very specific brands and thinking about, I'm just curious to know for you, like I was thinking about like, what am I going to buy for New York? And I'm sure we'll want to buy a couple things in New York also. Um, like what are the brands? So the brand that has surprisingly shown up a lot for me is this crazy brand called Christasea. Hmm. Tell which, me about them. Do you remember when we were in Paris, when we were there for like four months, and I went to that showroom, I think it was in the I'll 9th. I'll never forget it. And I bought all these like collarless shirts and a knit sweater. It was all made in Italy, and it was like ridiculously expensive. Yes, I remember like, what it, in, like I'm trying to think of the word. It, it's like you paid Insultingly. Rent. And expensive. It's like a red pam- a red and I didn't realize I was just like, I'm buying all this stuff. And I knew it was going to be a lot of money, but then I was like, holy shit, that was a lot of money. The funny thing is, so it's all made in Italy, but like lots of caftans and collarless shirts and really thin fabric. And I bought like a palm print top and, and skirt and, and a, a collarless like emerald green shirt and elastic waist pants. I bought a pair of brown, like long skater shorts, just kind of very almost monkish clothing. It's, it's along the lines of the stuff I like generally, but probably a little more colorful and felt like I was going a little nuts, not only for the price, but because of, just the style. But the weird thing is I wear it so much in LA, hmm. even though it's a Paris brand made in Italy, it's all LA appropriate. And I bought a couple things from the store or Oro Boro in New York. I bought this like orange wool caftan and a, a camel turtleneck, um, for our trip. Amazing. For, uh, and, but the thing is, this is a brand that like, 
I've always thought was interesting. They sell their stuff at a couple retailers. They do drops. They do like Instagram drops. It's so exorbitantly priced is the word. Like it's just so expensive for what it is. But at the same time, I really like it and everything sells out. And I wear it way more than so much other stuff that I have. Um, And I just think it's a cool brand and I don't know a ton about them. I need to learn more about the people who are behind it, but I think that they do a good job and don't even look it up online because I'm so embarrassed at the cost of it. It's so expensive. I will never look it up. (laughs) But it's great and I really like it and it's just interesting coming back into this. I haven't felt a desire to like totally change the way I dress. Like, yeah, I'm still going to buy the Uniqlo U stuff this fall and mostly wear that, hmm. you know, but cool. I'm just curious, like you're very into speaking of upgrading at some point you were very into J crew men's like 10 years ago. And some, at one moment you upgraded and you became a huge, huge Norse projects. Yeah. It, well, it, it all started with the gray, uh, Anton Oxford shirt. It was Remember? a gray Which one. We spotted at. Um, Pilgrim Surf in Brooklyn, and I saw this beautiful gray Oxford and had to have it. Yeah. And that was my first... Actually, I think I bought a Norse Projects hat at Pilgrim before that that I was using as like my winter running hat. Mm-hmm. But it was the shirt that was kind of the, the real entry-level drug. And then since then, I basically built a uniform of all Norse Projects Pants, you're shirts. Re- you're really good at finding it on sale too. Yeah, I'm. I'm a sales specialist, uh, which is interesting because they're from from Denmark. So a lot of the styling translated very well to New York. You know, multiple uh, multiple seasons of of warmth, cold, rain, dry. Uh, I I was I was nervous that maybe a lot of it wouldn't work in L.A., but they actually do have like a really great pair of white jeans and a really great Acru denim shirt. And yeah. both of those kind of were staples of my my clothing um, for the past year. I've also been wearing a ton of, of just like basics, T-shirts, I think mostly American apparel, and my Patagonia baggies. And then uh, I bought a couple things from Battenware and Corridor, has done some nice stuff, but really it's still mostly Norse projects for me. I, I really want to shop the new Nanamica store in New York. Yeah. Um, I keep trying to, to get back into APC and it's just not working for me, whether it's like the wrong style or just the, the fit or the color or something. Some of it's a little too shiny for me. I just bought a pair of APC jeans. Yeah. They I, look nice. I, yeah. They're nice. I have to get a different. I bought a couple of things from CHCM in New York. And I'm really looking forward to going to their store and trying yeah. some stuff on. I love CHCM. It's, it's awesome. like I guess the women's equivalent would be La Garcon, which mm. I'm excited to go there. And Miriam yeah. Nazir Zeda, or is, I don't really know how to. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce anything, Sade. especially after the last two years. Right. But I love that store too. Mm-hmm. Just going, I'm excited to go in stores and and see stuff in New York. But also, I don't know. There's, I feel like we just collect clothes. Whereas you really don't need all the clothes that we have here. 
No. Nor did we ever, true. but in New York, you could, you may, you need to get dressed up every day, and here you don't, even even in non-COVID times. Yeah, the, our, our next project is packing for this trip, and we are going to be bound within the weight and size requirements of the American Airlines domestic yeah. baggage And we're bringing a policies. baby and a dog and yeah. all the baby stuff. So... He has a very cute corduroy that. suit that he's modular, wearing. Modular clothing. Um, anyway, yeah, pretty simple for me. I've, th- there's there's a couple brands that I've been poking at. One was Corridor, the other A Kind of Guys, which is a German brand. Yeah. Um, I have this funny uh, cardigan cute, yeah. that looks also like a kimono, which is kind of funny. Um, other than that, still pretty much on the Norse projects. Uh, yeah. I feel the same way about La Mer uniform. and Uniqlo U. It's just the the brand of my adult yeah. life. Mm-hmm. I'm also very excited, obviously, about the Phoebe Philo, boom brand, which I'm not going to be spending money next year until that comes out. All right, sounds good. My main project is that my main problem is that Norse Projects has continued to uh, increase the textile quality and therefore the price of their items. So, like the yeah. corduroy pants that were 180 bucks that I would get on sale are now like. I don't know, three hundred dollars, and then you have the to wait re- to really very get nice the corduroy sale. blazer that was like four hundred something, which yeah. I can't, I can't do that. So yeah, we'll have to figure it out. Anyway, uh, this is probably longer than these shows will go, but yeah, we appreciate one. your time. It was a good one. Yeah, I have to make a phone call, so we. Should I got to make lunch, so we'll do. We'll... Is that sous vide chicken for me too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. It's finished. I okay, just gotta, let's talk about my the, watch what, just buzzed. What the chicken is be. cooked. Yeah, let's talk about what it's actually going to be offline. Great. You can always get in touch with us at hello at the needle and the Tweet us at needle and mouse. Find us individually on the internet. Check out newconsumer.com and we'll catch you soon. Bye.